So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com. All right, what's going on, everybody? I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. We are super happy to bring you number 10. Double digits. I, I don't have like a, a fancy nickname for it. I can't think of anything. We're just going to be super bored and we'll just call it number 10. I think that's probably the safest bet. So we've actually made it 10 episodes so far, which I think is remarkable. Yeah. And not only remarkable that obviously we've made it 10 episodes so far, but we have gotten a tremendous amount of feedback in the past... How long have we been doing this now? Two months? Probably exactly. I, I don't know. It, it's kind of, um, you know, humbling also makes me feel really good deep down inside. It is. We've started getting a lot of feedback from people we don't know. And I think that's incredible. Yeah, like uh, complete random strangers that have messaged us on Instagram. By the way, it's so I married an alcoholic at Instagram. Or they've sent us an email via the Gmail, which is so I married an alcoholic at gmail.com. Or the reviews on Apple Podcast. Yeah, they, actually, some of the reviews are starting to roll in now. Um, and also the app that we, I guess, distribute the podcast through, uh, which is the Podbean app. Somebody left us a really, really nice bit of feedback the other day. And it had absolutely nothing to do with... Your voice? Like, shocking to you? Did that hurt your ego? It shatters my soul. <laughs> but, I mean, it is what it is. Maybe people are listening to your message. Which is even more amazing. I know, right? That's the point of it. Exactly. So this person had reached out on the Podbean app, you know, with a very similar story than the girl who had reached out a couple of weeks ago on Instagram and sent us a private message. Uh, well, these particular uh, two people weren't married yet, but they had been dating for, I believe it was several years now, three, four years maybe. And they just happened to cross the podcast because we posted it in a local, our, I guess, geographic area does like a marketing Monday. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had posted it to that. And, you know, very similar story. Like they were in a rough spot in their relationship. He's an alcoholic. She is not an alcoholic. When they started, he had come forth and said that he was an alcoholic, but that he could also control it. Yeah, I think the most amazing part of that message was um, at the end, she said, I hope you keep doing this to reach other people. And that like kind of gave me tingles all over. Yeah, it tickled my soul. Yeah, it's really awesome. My, That's exactly what this is meant to do. My alcoholic soul. We're helping others, not just ourselves. Exactly. And, I, you know, we had explained that in our very first episode that the reason we ended up sitting down in this Taj Mahal of a studio with your tits on the wall that I built <laughs> for you with my bare hands, much like the baby Jesus built the houses. I don't know if baby Jesus built the houses. I'm not sure. Well, there were no labor laws back then, so baby Jesus built everything. Oh, okay. <laughs> we were kind of in that same same place. You know, we were in a rough spot in our marriage, and you wanted to go see a therapist, and I was like, no, fuck that. We'll do a podcast. And, and here we are. Exactly. And at the very end of that first episode, sort of our going away message was that, like, you know, we hope that this helps us as which a couple. Which it has. Which, again, 100% ding, ding, ding. I said it right away. Uh, I'm going to get the 100% right out of the way. Just knock it out. 
Now you have to mix in literally. I was going to say, somewhere. I'll give me some literally soon. <laughs> and you know, also hopefully that it it benefits other people, and it certainly sounds like it is. Yeah, which is so cool, and that's an amazing feeling, right? Yeah, my my other favorite part of the podcast is looking where people listen from, and it's really like all over the country now. Like I'm talking Idaho and Utah and. All these obscure places. So I don't know how we're getting out there, but we are. And also, if you, I don't know if you've made it past the US map, but you can look at a world map. So cool. And there's like downloads from Italy and Argentina and India. India. So interesting. What's up, Bangladesh? That's right. Is Bangladesh in India? I don't know. That's not my thing. Shit. Well, what's up, Bangaloreans? (laughs) We hope you're well. Blessed be the cow. They love the cows over there. I know, it's secret. I do love the cows. I know. You know who else I love? Me. Bird dog. I know, bird dog's back. So in our pursuit to live life to the fullest, we were at Mumsy's, which, you know, the last episode we did the show from there. Yes. And then shortly after that, we took a trip to Auntie Gay P's. Yes. And Auntie Gay P is now running a hotel in the Berkshires. So it's technically located in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Name of the hotel is Hotel on North. I don't know if you know this, Megan. I am the voice of the hotel. I do know it. Please, you've played it for me like 27 times. <laughs> so we went up there. We unfortunately only got to spend li- literally... Less than 24 hours. Probably like 16 hours. Yeah, exactly. And we slept was... for nine of them. It was a short window, but Auntie Gay P hooked us up and he put us in the library room. Oh, it was incredible. The hotel is absolutely stunning. Super gorgeous. Really cute little boutique hotel. I think he said it was like 42 or 45 rooms, something like that. So it's really small. And lovely. Every room is different. uh, And they had bought... I don't remember if he said it was an old, like, factory or... It was two different buildings. Like, one was a factory and one was something else, and they joined them together. It was probably like a meat house. Let's hope. Auntie Gabe, he loves the meat. Uh, maybe it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask him the history. I'm surprised you didn't write up the history and find out all about it. And Like, it was it was nice to see Auntie Gabe. It was awesome. Uh, it was nice because he hooked us up with the, like, presidential suite. The town and the surrounding towns are adorable. We walked around to find a place to eat for dinner, which was harder than we anticipated. It was yes. packed. It was packed. And again, we're used to, you know, being down the shore, not that like we're traveling assholes or anything like that. We kind of are this summer, though. You know, your parents have the bed and breakfast down at the Jersey Shore, so we have the privilege of kind of using that at our leisure. Yes. Which is awesome. Very. Not pet friendly, though. That's okay. They're down to two stars. They lost a star for the paper towels. Mm Mm-hmm. They lost a star because they're not pet friendly. And they lost another star because this is your second marriage. I don't think that has anything to do with the bed and breakfast. It's my review. Okay. I can do what I want. You're very critical. Anywho, so we wanted to make sure that we publicly thanked Hotel on North. It's in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. It's literally hotelonnorth.com. Actually, interestingly enough, the town of Pittsfield itself is like super recovery oriented so if you happen to be like yearning for a trip to a really cute place and you don't necessarily want to break the bank go check out the berkshires yeah it was so cute it's all these adorable towns like i said we walked to try to find a place to eat and we we did 
Um, food was okay. Waitress was on point. Oh, she made that meal. She did. And Chris was like in rare form that night. The obscenities were flying. The, but, you know, charming. He was charming her. I was know? super inappropriate. And she was breaking my balls hard because I was wearing like my pink I'm a tool bag shorts. Yeah, and he was smoking, and we were sitting outdoors, and he stepped back about, like, three feet, and she, like, totally laid into him about it. She's like, we're not in Europe. Like, it's really not socially acceptable here anymore. So anyway, you know, he's throwing the obscenities, not in a mean way. Like, they were joking around back and forth. She was excellent. Just You know, it was just a heated little banter exchange. It was, much like our every night exchange. But anyway, Mm -hmm. she, um, then at the end, when we told her where we were staying, she's like, Oh, I'm a minister. I do weddings there all the time. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Seriously? She's like, no, no, it's okay. I'm non-denominational. That's fine, because Chris offended probably every (laughs) denomination. (laughs) Literally. So anyway, we had a great time. And then we drove home the next day, stayed home for one day, and went back down the shore. It's really an awesome summer we're having. I mean, not for nothing. You know, we have... A lot of catching up to do because the world was shut down for 16 months, 18 months. I don't even know. I guess it depends on, you know, what state you were in, if you got vaccinated right away Mm -hmm. or right when the vaccines were opened up to you, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, we have a lot of catching up to do. Definitely. And we're doing it this summer. We've been making the most of it. I mean, we're trying. So far, we're on a good start. But are you ready for some sad news? Summer's halfway over. It's more than halfway over. I go back to work in two and a half weeks or some crazy business like that. All right. Summer's actually done. Yes. I also, I feel like it went by really quick. It did. Because we had so much fun. Yeah. And then. Last summer, like, it lasted an eternity. (laughs) (laughs) It was never ending. Not for me. Yeah. That's where I owned my leisure activities. You did. You perfected them last summer. Yeah. And I don't mean owned like O-W-N-E-D. I mean, like, H-O-N-E-D. Absolutely. I think that, is that honed? Yes. Okay. To perfect a skill. Mm. It's a verb. You sure did. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of perfecting parenting. But that's all right. It came. It came. It just took a little longer. Yeah, I perfected parenting when I was ready to perfect parenting, not necessarily when my child needed me to perfect parenting. We all get there when we get there. Growth. Sure. I'm here. You are. You're a great dad now. We've talked about this. (laughs) I'm just saying, don't hate the player. Hate the game. So last episode, we threw out a number. 100,000. So 100,000. The CDC is now estimating 100,000 souls will have perished directly as a result from drug and alcohol overdoses. And I think, you know, we, we sort of threw it in at the end of last episode and i don't know like just over the past week i feel like we haven't necessarily given that number enough attention i agree does that make sense yeah no absolutely I, i think that's a horrifying number i mean when you compare it to other large losses that we've had a hundred thousand people in one year to overdose is i mean it should be shocking to everyone it's remarkable yeah and not in a good way 
It's absolutely remarkable. And again, you know, 5,000 dead from overdoses, too many, double that number, 10,000. I'm sorry, I don't mean to insult your mathematical skills, but, you know, again, my show, it is what it is. Normally, it's somewhere between 60 and 65,000 people that die every year from an overdose. Yeah, so you're talking over 30% higher. Which is just, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. And I think my issue with the whole thing is... Why aren't we hearing about that on the news? Like you hear about, you know, all the not to, you know, play down the seriousness of like shootings in major metropolitan areas or any number of terrible things that you hear on the news today. But why are we not hearing about specifically that number and like what's going to be done about it, you know? So I'm going to be completely honest here, and this is going to sound horrible and harsh. Um, I think that there's probably a lot of people out there that don't care. And I don't mean that meanly, but there's probably a lot of people that would even say we're better off without them. I would say a majority of people out there would echo that exact sentiment. And that's like shitty. It is. Because I don't care, you know, again, we we will go into, you know, more of my personal story, more of Megan's personal story. I think Megan was more of a upstanding citizen than I was, I think. And that's, you know, again, like being really, really nice about it because mm-hmm. I was not a good person. At the end of the day, though, that's still somebody's, you know, husband, wife, mother, father, grandchild, son, daughter, brother, sister, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, and I think there is a way out. You know, if we did bring attention to it and focus that energy on recovery, on educating people younger, on getting drugs off the street, you know, we could make a difference. And when you meet alcoholics, addicts in recovery, They're pretty incredible people. Anytime that I chair a meeting or I'm having a conversation with somebody about addiction, something like that, I always say that the recovered alcoholic and addict is one of the most powerful and dangerous people you will ever meet in your life. And that's true. And I don't mean dangerous like they're going to come in and rob your house someday. I mean like that person, once they get their quote unquote shit together, has the power to change the world. They have to channel that energy accordingly. When you think about, I remember reading an article once in rehab and it was about the attic as an empath and how. What's an empath? So there are people that care deeply about others and to the point where they actually like feel other people's pain, their pleasure, their joy, their sorrow. And they're really deep feeling people. And it's funny, you don't think about that when you think about addicts. You think about losers living on the street, begging for money, stealing, you know, all these awful things. But in reality, they tend to be very kind hearted people. They're just very sick. I think like the worst of the worst of society, if you will. Um, Nine out of ten times you're not thinking about that power broker on Wall Street that's doing the same exact thing but has the funds and isn't on the corner begging for change. Or tens of thousands of people that are 
addicted to drugs and alcohol that are running small businesses, mom and pop shops that are literally the backbone of this country. Or people in corporate America. There's very, quote unquote, society functional alcoholics and addicts out there. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you think about the streets of Kensington, you know, even though that's a huge drug population there, I think it's probably actually a small percentage of overall people that suffer with addiction. Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. The The issue with Kensington itself is that it's just such a condensed population. Yeah, it's all there is. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's really... I'm not going to say they do their best because I don't think that they do their best. And by they, I mean like the city of Philadelphia. Like yeah. there's, let's be honest, there's many ways to skin a cat, right? Yeah, sure. I think it's one of those things like if we just ignore it, it'll sort of just go away. Oh, you know what's so interesting? Which is dangerous to I was, look at that. I was just reading that article. This uh, member to you or I sent it to you about them closing down uh, that needle exchange in Atlantic City. Now, Atlantic City is another area that was once a bustling, beautiful town. Like when my mom used to go to the boardwalk when they were younger, they would go to Atlantic City and they would wear dresses and heels. Like it was high class there. I love actually looking at like the old pictures. Oh, it's beautiful. Of- you know, the Atlantic City boardwalk. And it's like you said, it's like that Monet painting, like the woman walking around with the big dress and the umbrella. That's what it was. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. And you know what? So this article talked about how they just voted or whatever to close down a needle exchange. Um, now, a needle exchange, you know, gives clean needles to addicts. And the reasoning behind it is some of these people that were quoted, you know, saying that they wanted this closed were saying, like, we want the drugs out of here. We want the, you know, there's needles everywhere. There's this and that. Addicts are going to do drugs whether or not they have a clean needle. So taking away the needle exchange, you know, what whatever your belief is, that's actually not going to help their drug problem. And I think, you know, I, while I appreciate his argument, so to speak, Uh, I think taking away these venues to get clean needles, and obviously this is a super controversial topic. Yes. I mean, I'd like to stand here and take a side, but I don't necessarily think that's our place. I think it's our place to sort of discuss the issue and then leave it up to the listener like you decide from there. But I think taking away a needle exchange causes so many more public health emergencies then it solves that's what i was just gonna say you the addicts are going to use with or without a clean needle you didn't get rid of addicts you invited in hepatitis right so now you've put a burden on your healthcare system and you know speaking as someone that's in healthcare, you know i see issues like that from a very uh, from a medical practical standpoint you know, like yeah, you're not. You're certainly not standing there or sitting there endorsing drug usage by any means. No, definitely not. But you are saying, hey, you know what? If humans are going to be humans and behave the way that they're going to behave, at least we're going to not allow you to do more damage in terms of HIV and Hep C and exactly. I'm not giving you a bag of heroin. I'm giving you a clean needle so you don't infect someone else. Exactly. 
So I again, and it also not for nothing, but I think you know those needle exchanges also provide a safe place to dispose of needles instead of on the side on of the, the street highway, exactly, or at the train station yes. where there's a thousands, tens of thousands of commuters that go through there every day. Like it's not just about the needle, and I think unfortunately that's what a lot of people focus on. Like they can't get, they can't take the focus off of. Well, you're giving drug addicts needles. Yeah, and I think, you know what, uh, I mean, there's a lot of controversial topics that we can discuss. You know, I think, you know, safe injection sites are a controversial, and I'm not even sure how I feel about them, to be honest. You know, but it's a very controversial topic. Or um, Suboxone, like maintenance therapy, that's another very controversial topic. And, you know, I'd like to spend an episode talking about it because, Quite honestly, after working in drug and alcohol, my opinion where it started and where it ended changed. Absolutely. And again, like I am a huge fan of AA. Full disclosure, I've done methadone treatment. I've done Suboxone treatment. I've done Vivitrol. uh, I've done cold turkey, which is not successful. And I don't recommend that by any means. But I have tried all of the above. There's certainly pros and cons to each one of those. But I think, well, actually, I know the only solution for me was working a program, right? Now I'll back up real quick and I'll say that I really don't give a shit what you do to get you clean. A hundred thousand people died last year and that number is unacceptable. I agree. I at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, but you have to do something. Living in that perpetual cycle does not help anyone, especially yourself, but you're not just hurting yourself. We've talked about this in other episodes. You're hurting people around you. Absolutely. You're probably hurting them more than you're hurting yourself because you're the one doing the drugs. You're the one that's numb. Yeah, exactly. You know, like at that point, your conscience, your soul, your everything has gone to shit. Yeah. In, in four years clean, I'll have in October. Uh, and, you know, the last episode we shared that we had dinner and, you know, with my aunt and uncle previously, I've reached out to family members from five, ten plus years ago, and they're still not ready to listen to what I have to say, which is 100% fine. Yeah. But that just speaks to the level of damage once you're using a substance and you know, destroying your life and those of the lives around you for an extended period of time. It takes time. It does take time. And patience is not a gift that addicts or alcoholics have. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) That is not a virtue. We want what we want it when we want it. I think every single person that gets out of rehab, right? And they're like, you know, oh, I got 28 days clean. And, you know, they want to go around apologizing to everyone. And you're all butthurt when no one like accepts it in the first, you know, five seconds. You don't understand because you're doing the right thing now. But it's literally been for a half a percent of your lifetime compared to the how many ever weeks, months, years that you spent destroying everything around you. Yeah, exactly. Like settle down, Tiger. Why don't don't you hit a meeting, get a sponsor, do some steps, and they'll tell you when you're ready. And it's not soon. No, (laughs) not at all. Let me ask you something. Since we were just talking about uh, the needle exchanges, you had actually just said something real quick. And I don't think this is anything that we've ever talked about you know, off microphone, 
But you had said something about, do we just try to take the drugs off the streets or do we legalize drugs? I didn't say that. Actually, I wrote it down. Oh, really? Taking drugs off the streets, question mark. So as a medical provider, do you think that, you know, maybe using heroin is a bad example because it's so far to the left of the spectrum, but like weed. So when you and I were growing up, you know, marijuana was illegal. Right. If you had, I I was a Massachusetts guy. I don't know what the Pennsylvania law is. But back oh, in the a day, small quantity. And yeah, Massachusetts. You had if you like had an ounce on you, you were going to jail for that. Now, fast forward 15 years, it's legal medically and recreationally. Do you think as sort of a harm reduction policy that should be something that's looked into? I don't know if as a so I think you can equate marijuana and alcohol. In fact, I think a lot of people can do more damage while drinking. I've always said nobody marijuana. Nobody's going to smoke a joint and run over a bus stop full of kids. Well, I mean, they could. You shouldn't get high and drive either. Well, no, I'm certainly not condoning it. But okay. I'm just saying a majority of impaired accidents are caused by, by alcohol. alcohol. Right. Because it's socially acceptable and legal. Right. I mean, not right. at that level to drive. But um, I think from a practical standpoint, I mean, I say this all the time legalize marijuana and tax the shit out of it and put it into something good. Fix the school systems. Put it towards getting heroin, Oxycontin, all that shit off the streets. You know, do good work with it. Set up meaningful recovery programs. Set up, you know, um, solutions. Provide solutions for people. Make the system easier to navigate for mental health. Like, I I think, yes, I think financially there can be a huge benefit. Like, literally, tax it like crazy. People will pay it. Absolutely. You know, case in point, I'm a smoker. I will not give up smoking. Even though they're like over 10 bucks a pack in some places. Which is insane because I could be driving a very nice vehicle right now for the amount of money that I spend on cigarettes yeah. every month. But like I'm an asshole, right? Which I mean, you're well aware of that point aware. by now. Concur. I just, I don't know. I think like I almost deserve to smoke still, which is kind of sick in a way, right? Yeah. Because I'm inhaling a substance I don't know, 20 times a day is 20 20 cigarettes in a pack. Anyways, I'm inhaling a substance that sooner or later is going to kill me. It's just slower than, you know, shooting heroin. Yeah. I I know. But so the take home message of it is people will pay it. If someone's addicted to something, they will pay it. Exactly. So, um, yeah, from that standpoint, yes. Do I think... You know, medically, does it have benefits? Do I? Th- I don't know. I don't. I don't actually know the answer to that. You know, but I think it's a good money maker. I mean, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I think you put age limits on it, just like you do alcohol. I think, you know, you restrict it like you do alcohol. There's got to be. I think the problem is like, how do you determine a legal limit? You know. Um, well, yeah, that's kind of the issue that they're running into with marijuana, right? Right, because you like, there's no like rapid marijuana like I just smoked 10 minutes ago and then drove you know it stays yeah. in your system so I don't I don't know what the answers are there like 
legally. But yes, I agree. From a financial standpoint, if you tax the crap out of it, I think we could use that money for good. And actually, I'm glad that you brought up sort of the, you know, navigating the mental health system or the substance abuse system. That in and of itself is a train wreck, right? It is. It's very difficult. So I I don't know. Part of me wants to say, you know, yes, let's put some money into, you know, making treatment easier to get into. And I, I, I just I don't know what the solution to that is. Like, I'm, I'm not a treatment coordinator. Sure. I don't know enough about it. I mean, I've been several times, so I could, you know, go on a, a pretty good rant about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, 100,000 dead last year. Uh, treatment should not be this hard to get into. No, I agree. And so it's interesting, right? When you talk about like we just glazed over and we won't talk about it right now. When you talk about something though, like um, maintenance therapy, like Suboxone, like Methadone, um, the one thing that they don't, those drugs haven't proven that they got you, get you sober, but they actually have proven that they lessen overdose. So that's one thing, right? The one, the only statistic out there that says, what yields long-term sobriety is long-term treatment. And so if you have good insurance, you get 28 days. A lot of people get two weeks. Some people only get a five-day detox. You know, if you're uninsured, you get um, whatever it is. Good luck. You get, you normally can get a county bed, but you may have to wait a couple weeks. You may not live to get there. Literally, that's not a joke. No, it's serious. So... uh, you know, the only thing that shows positive outcomes, long-term sobriety, is long-term treatment. And it's not 28 days. It's 90 days. It's six months. It's a year, a year and a half. So, you know, that's really, I, I think, you know, you say get drugs off the street, get this. But no, I think that's the system that needs to improve. I agree with you. And again, like that, this certainly wasn't a part of the show, but I'm glad that we at least touched on it a little bit. I think it's something that we should definitely revisit further down the line yeah definitely um i think we should try to find some like experts that can because right now we're just shooting off the mouth like this is my opinion this is and i mean we've read articles we've read books we've read all kinds of things but you know we should not claim to be experts in any sense of the term no nor are we but again maybe by us having the conversation again you know we certainly don't have the platform that a local news outlet does let's say but you never know you never know who's listening you never know who might catch a little piece of this again I think it's important just to have the conversation and then at some point again I I think we could take a a much deeper dive into you know some different methodologies if you will yeah I agree fair yeah because I think I think that's actually a cool episode to do in general kind of researching it doing because we have our opinions yeah, but, but like our opinions don't really matter. <laughs> right. And I only speak for, you know, somebody who lived that life for, you know, almost two decades. I'm certainly not a subject matter expert. Sure. Uh, and I'm only, you know, one derelict junkie with a microphone. And we you know? only know what worked for us. Exactly. I think that's a good point. Wow. I'm like tired after that. I know. Wow, that took so much out of me. We were... On our way home on Sunday, or, you know, we were trying to go on our way home, and I logged into the old uh, terrible Facebook, and I got a message on there from an old friend, and he was, you know, just kind of shooting the shit with me, 
and I'm, you know, happy to, you know, answer the, the messages and have the conversation or what have you. And then he gives me the old, can you call me? I'm like, yeah, of course. Give me 10 minutes. I'm jumping in the shower. I'll spare you the indignities of listening to my shower story because I take 45 minutes. I showers. was just going to say 10 minutes. I'm jumping in the shower. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't want to be like, oh, yeah, I'm jumping in the shower and it usually takes me about 63 minutes. <laughs> That's if tomorrow. I don't have to shave. I'll call you tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to have to just hose off my feet here. if I. <laughs> Anyways. So I gave him a call and we were just kind of catching up. It's again, somebody I went to high school with. So I haven't probably said more than, I don't know, 20 words to him in the 20 years that had passed. You know, again, just through normal conversation. He's like, so you're an alcoholic? And I was like, well, eh. I was like, you know, I, I said I enjoy a or used to enjoy a beer every now and then. But I was more of a, you know, pills and heroin guy. And then we got into sort of the deep dive about, you know, he's been drinking quite a bit more lately. So he's my age, 40 years old, very successful. You know, he said that uh, on several different occasions, some family members had pulled him aside and been like, hey, bro, you need to like check yourself. You know, again, Megan had overheard part of my conversation because she eavesdrops and thinks I'm talking to like some random skank. But I wasn't. It was my boy from high school. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This time. So I. Well, I had several questions for him, but, you know, when I had gotten off the phone with him, I said to Megan, like, what what is that line? What's the line of I'm an alcoholic, I need to get help versus like I'm just, you know, having a couple of beers, drinking, blowing off some steam? So I think that's a really interesting question. So I'm in a couple different Facebook groups, like support groups, like a women in AA, I don't know the exact name, another AA, you know, type thing. Constantly, all day long, there's random people posting, I'm not, I don't drink every day, so I'm not an alcoholic, but every time I drink, I completely black out and offend someone or do something that really destroys my life and those around me. Does that make me an alcoholic? I'm going to go with yes. So, but the answer is no one can tell you you're an alcoholic except yourself. And me, because I have the microphone. You're you're all alcoholics. (laughs) Trust me. But I think that's an interesting, I mean, when I think about my drinking, I was probably an alcoholic from day one, but I binge drank, um, you know, through college, which is normal. So that's okay. Right. And then actually after I had my son, I didn't drink for a good like three years. Like not at all. So you were an alcoholic and then you became an unalcoholic just overnight? No. So I was an alcoholic the whole time. I just took like a little three year lapse. Okay. Right. So how could I be an alcoholic? Because I stopped drinking for three years. Right. Right. Um, With no sense of program or anything like that. I think I just knew deep down that this could end poorly. And I had a kid I was responsible for. So I stopped. And then I started drinking again. And again, it was, oh, uh, this party and a binge drinking episode. And then it was one binge drinking every couple months. And then it was once a month. And then it was a couple times a month. And then it was once a week. And then it was a two month span where it was every single night till I blacked out. So I, I think the moral of the story is it's progressive. Your binge drinking today can easily turn into pushing the shopping cart later in life. I don't disagree with that at all. I also think, too, for me, alcoholism is more defined as a state of mind. Ah, it's interesting you said that. Please expound. 
there is something that happens that is a phenomenon when the alcoholic takes the first sip. Like you go home with a random dude from the bar? That's sometimes involved. But I I think... I didn't know that was a phenomenon. (laughs) No. I thought it was just because I was like super good looking. (laughs) And I swung a mean hammer. (laughs) I mean, I'm speaking for myself. Sure. Once I had... There used to be this place of no return. Like say I had three drinks, then I was going to get totaled, right? By the end, as soon as I had one sip, I was going to get totaled. There was no off button. That first sip always had to go too far. There was no line I would not cross. Like put that in perspective. So you're driving home from work, let's say, and you have to, I don't know, pick up your kid from daycare or you're meeting your first husband, not me, first husband for dinner with some of his business associates, what have you. So you know you have responsibilities that you need to tend to. Are you stopping at the bar even though you're telling yourself, I'm not drinking tonight? Are you Um, just going to run in for a quick glass of wine? Maybe pee? It depends, right? So I think that's the thing. I think that it's a state of mind. Um, Because I would like to say in a lot of those circumstances, I would pick up a daycare first, tuck the kid in, or make sure he was home tucked in. Then be at the bar and then be up at seven in the morning flipping pancakes and packing park uh, packing school lunches like Mm -hmm. there is a whole you can alcoholics are amazing. Right. They're super resourceful. Agreed. They can function through many things. Not to interrupt you. But again, I said it before a little while ago. The recovered alcoholic is one of the most powerful and determined people that you will ever meet in your life. Carry on. Definitely. So. I guess for me, alcoholism is a state of mind. I know that the first sip turns into a million. You know, they say one's too many, a thousand's never enough. And that defines my alcoholism, 100%. If I have one drink, I will have 30. There's no other option. Um, So I know for me, that's it. Now, can people come home from work and drink three glasses of wine every night and not be an alcoholic? Yes. See, I believe that. Yeah. No, I I know tons of people like that. And uh, I was just going to use a family member as as an example, but I don't necessarily want to cross that that line. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But let's say that we have a friend uh, and her name is what rhymes with Mimi. Oh, well, Mimi's the exact opposite of an alcoholic. It's actually, that's a phenomenon. Well, that's where I was going with this. Oh, we can talk about that. My mom is the most unalcoholic woman I've ever met in my whole life. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, she will have... A martini and a glass of wine, and then she switches to club soda, and that's the end of it. Right, two drinks. And it blows my mind every time. It actually pisses me off. Because she even gets tipsy. How can you get tipsy and then stop drinking? You haven't gotten to the good part yet. You know? Where you're throwing up on yourself and hating yourself. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't understand. It blows my mind. It's She's a unicorn. <laughs> I mean, I, I can relate to that because obviously, like, we spend a vast amount of time with Mimi. But, like, I just... I can't wrap my head around that. 
that first drink is just enough to set the wheels in motion where like packing the car and I'm going to Vegas and we're going to party our tits off and end up killing a hooker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's literally the first drink. Yes. I'm um, sip. Yeah. You know, it's just really that insane. So, and the other phenomenon about being an alcoholic, and I think we've said this before, right? I know this and I can sit here and tell you this on a microphone, but tomorrow on my way home from work, I may have to tell myself again, over and over and over again. Yes. That I cannot stop and have one drink. Exactly. Alcoholism is not, you know, there's definitely no cure. Uh, it's not a one and done. It's not cancer. You don't beat it. And it's pure insanity. You live with it. It's a maintenance program. And it's, you know, it takes conscious thought. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody listening has heard it before. Like, you live your life like an alcoholic one day at a time. And I think depending on where you are in terms of your recovery, sometimes it's one minute at a time. Sometimes it's five seconds at a time. Absolutely. And so I think for me, the take home is if you are posting on a message board or reaching out to a friend or saying, hey, can you let me know if I'm an alcoholic or not? Because I'm not sure. I don't think normal people have to ask. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, if you're questioning it at all, you may as well be. So we talked about this before. I'm in a monitoring program, you know, when I didn't check in the one day till five o'clock at night and Chris lost his shit. Yeah, because you're episode. an asshole. But anyway. But I move on from shit, right? Yeah, never, which is, you know, just great. So anyway, <laughs> and I've got another. I was actually thinking about that because I was thinking about how my grandparents were together for like 60 years, I guess longer. And I was like, oh, sad. We'll never be together 60 years. And then I was like, I mean, I guess we could. That would make us like 93 and 100, you know, like. I'm actually, I'm, I got to be super honest with you here. I love you to death. I have no interest in like a day after 25 years. <laughs> you think you'll be old enough then? Yeah. like put, You're concerned you won't be as pretty and it's time to end it? Yeah, put me in the ground. 25 years in a day, I'm signing off for the last time. <laughs> oh, so I'm in this monitoring program. As part of it, you know, you had to complete an inpatient program and then an intensive outpatient program. The, the counseling portion of it goes on for like a year and a half, two years. So again, right? Because what gives results? Long-term treatment. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, you had to be. I had to be in this healthcare providers group for a year. So for one year, at once a week, was it once a week? No, it was like twice or three. It was an insane amount of times. No, it was once a week, and then you had to do an individual session. So <laughs> twice a week, anyway, and you had to pay for it every time. But anyway. Um, so you had different, um, there was nurses, there was doctors, there was pilots, there was pharmacists all in this group, right? Mm -hmm. Super interesting. And since you're there for an entire year, you see people as they're first coming in versus people that are in for 10 months and however long. And you have a lot of people in that group. Again, I was only, I not only alcohol, I was alcohol, strictly alcohol. That's my drug of choice. Pussy. And, exactly. But there was a lot of people that were opiates, mm -hmm. right? Stealing drugs, diverting drugs um, from their job, My unfortunately. People. This program is a program of abstinence. That means you cannot take anything. Even if you don't identify as an alcoholic, you cannot have a single sip of alcohol. You also can't take a Benadryl. You can't take a Mucinex. You can, literally, Tylenol, ibuprofen is all. 
No Listerine. You have to get the alcohol-free Listerine. Absolutely. You have to watch what you eat. You have to anyway. It's a very strict program. But the new person that always came in, right? That was an opiate diverter. They would go on this huge thing about how it wasn't fair that someone could tell them they couldn't drink alcohol when they didn't have a problem with alcohol. Which is where I am glad that I am a complete derelict and have no formal education to speak of. Because if I was sitting in that group, I'd be like, hey, asshole, you stole drugs (laughs) that were meant for a sick person. But I still should be able to have a couple glasses of wine every night. So here's the thing. Sure. Then then (laughs) give up your professional license, go pump gas, and you can drink all all the wine you want. So no, I agree with that. I think it's a great program actually and it does really good things. But here here's my point of it. Finally, oh, sorry. Like 6 months into this listening to the same revolving door of the same story over and over again. But I'm not an alcoholic. I should be able to drink. You know what? The program lasts 3 to 4 years. If you can't think about giving up a drink for 3 to 4 years, maybe you are an alcoholic. <laughs> How mind-blowing. Right? Like, if if it's a problem that you cannot put it down, maybe you should reconsider how healthy your drinking habits are. I agree with that, absolutely. So, I think that's, you know, that's, a, that's another thing, too. I think there's people out there that you could say, hey, guess what, you can't drink for six months, and they're like, okay, I mean, kind of sucks, but no big deal. And then there's people whose minds cannot even comprehend it. I would say you're an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, you can only call yourself one, but, you know, right here and now, I'm calling you one. Exactly. So, you know, to my friend that was reaching out, uh, I would say, you know, I gave him some some pretty helpful advice. Uh, Well, at least I think it was helpful. I think it's one of those things like you have to take a look in the mirror. Yeah, You have to take a step back and say, is it the alcohol? Is it the feelings that you are drowning with the alcohol? Is it, you know, problems with work, finances, marriage, the typical hot button topics, kids, pets, guns, country clubs, leisure activities, if if we're keeping it close to home? I think it's just one of those things like you have to take a a step back and and look within because only you can answer that question. Absolutely. I think is the bottom line. Yeah, because if you're abusing drugs or alcohol at the root of it, spoiler alert. That's probably not the problem. I mean, that's a good point. It's just a symptom of it. That's right. The alcohol is the answer. Yeah. The feelings are the symptoms. Or the problem. I don't know. I mean, again, none of this we really had intended on talking about. Again, we kind of just go off script. I think it's what keeps us charming. But I think we had some, you know, pretty productive conversations in there. Uh, I don't think it was anything revolutionary or mind-blowing, so to speak. But I hope that it provides some sort of clarification. I don't think we got a lot of comical relief into this particular no, episode. Oh, I apologize. It was pretty serious. We'll bring it back. I'll put a picture of Meg's boobs up on soimarriedanalcoholic.com. So if you're looking for comical relief, check out the cankle boobs. Cankle boobs? Yeah, because your boobs are officially at your ankles. Things to look forward to. Frankie's 21st birthday. <laughs> If we survive it. (laughs) Hunting season is coming up very soon. 
Also, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Nick Learman on from Team Foster. Yes. We had touched on that a couple of weeks ago, and we are very excited to have him on. Um, we're also reaching out to various authors and speakers so that we can talk about different topics surrounding I guess not only alcoholism, but one of the people that I would really love to nab is Beth Macy. So Beth Macy wrote a book, I don't know, what, five years ago? I don't know. Called Dope Sick. I think that's the first book you've read in probably 20 years. I've actually read two books in my entire life. The first one was Private Parts from Howard Stern. (laughs) And I read that when I was in like seventh or eighth grade. Okay. No issue or how shocking it was that I became a drug addict and an alcoholic. (laughs) I was reading Howard Stern's book on the toilet in seventh grade. Okay. Second book I ever read was Dope Sick by Beth Macy. It's a fantastic read. It's about the Oxycontin. um, Is empire the right word? Sort of, unfortunately. Yeah, and how Purdue Pharma, you know, I'm not going to say. I mean, they were wrong. They were assholes. They killed like a hundred thousand several hundred thousand people so fuck you purdue pharma i'm just saying but how they preyed on people yes in particularly uh poor populations yeah economically impoverished areas rural areas yeah yeah so i'd really love to nab her so if you know a publicist uh beth macy i'm coming for you girl (laughs) i want you on my show yes excuse me our show because we're married and Eventually, everything gets split 50-50. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in 25 years in one day. That's right. Put me in the ground, baby girl. <laughs> so, Nick Learman on, couple of weeks, Team Foster. If you have some time in between now and the second week of August or the third week of August, I don't know when we're going to air his episode, uh, why don't you do yourselves a favor and go check out teamfoster.org. That's O-R-G. Uh, get a little bit of background information. If you have questions that you want to ask Nick or anything that you want to ask us, please send us an email to so I married an alcoholic at gmail.com. Of course, you can always stay up to date on our Instagram, so I married an alcoholic. The Twitter is married T O A A, married to A A. And then, uh, you know, the usual Facebook stuff. Keep spreading the word, people. We're growing rapidly. You know, the, the amount of feedback that we're getting is actually like blowing my mind on a daily basis. Yes. So keep that coming, guys. We love hearing from you. If you want to be on the show, please reach out. Saw I married an alcoholic at gmail.com. You know, if you just want to share your story or you have questions, anything like that. We're Comments. More than, yeah. You want to tell us we're wrong about something? Please do. I'd, I'd love to have a constructive conversation. And I just love for people to tell Chris he's wrong. Yeah, but I can just cut them off, (laughs) which is fine. Anywho, make sure you leave us a review on iTunes, uh, soimarriedanalcoholic.com. Anything else, Boo? That's all I got tonight. Well, either way, it was great checking in with you this week. I love doing this. I hope to keep doing it more and more and more until 25 years in a day. (laughs) And then put me in the ground. Either way.
cut off your pet's private parts. And if you're struggling in any way, reach out, put your hand up. I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com.